Ahoy, welcome, geniuses, explorers, and the curious. This is the Fun Kids Science Weekly. My name is Dan. Thank you so much for being there. Every week, we take a quick spin around the solar system. We're really the only podcast to take you all around the hidden spots of the universe and get you back in under half an hour, I'd say. We leave no science stone unturned. This week, uh, we'll chat to a genius scientist called Cindy Ford. She's got a book out about what you can do right now to save the world. I wrote the book so that we could focus on the things that we can do rather than the things that we can't. Because if we do certain things now, we can look forward to a world with a much brighter future. Also, we'll have another catch-up with Amy's Aviation. Amy is a genius who knows everything about planes. And this week, she'll tell us what would be different about this planet without planes. If you wanted to visit Australia without a plane, well, you'd need to find a boat and it would take you a month. And I've got your questions as always. This week, they are on diamonds and spinning planets and why one of them does it differently to the rest. Find out more. It's a brand new Fun Kids Science Weekly. Let's kick things off with your science in the news. A piece of space rock that fell in the Cotswolds in the UK suggests that the Earth's water came from outer space. Researchers analysed part of a meteorite that came to a place called Winchcombe, it's in Gloucestershire, all the way from the outer solar system, and it contains water. Not only, but the water in it is very similar to the one that we've got here on Earth, so experts are thinking, well, there might be a link between the flying rocks and our own ocean. Also staying in space, NASA's Artemis spacecraft has arrived at the moon. The capsule swept 80 miles above the lunar surface and will now orbit the rock. Now, there are no astronauts on it just yet, but it's got thousands of sensors all over it. They're going to study the moon to see the best place for humans to hopefully get back there in a few years' time. And finally this week, health and animal welfare experts want antibiotics to be banned in farm animals. Uh, They've tested rivers near farms and they found bacteria in it that could be resistant to medicine. They call them superbugs. You might have heard that before. And, and they say that the more we use antibiotics on animals, the more that these superbugs can grow. They can develop in them. And then they cross to humans where they won't be harmed by any of the medicines that we use to get rid of them, and they'll just keep growing and growing. Let's get to your questions then. I love this part of the show. This part of the show is, is my favourite because I get to do all the science digging. You send in your science questions and then I get to be like a detective through books and online figuring out the answers for you. This one was sent in as a review for our podcast over on Apple Podcasts. Uh, they want to know what happens to the minerals in coal for it to be turned into a diamond. Although coal and diamonds are made from the element carbon... They're not the same thing. Many people thought coal turned into diamonds, but that's not true. Diamonds are made of just that single element. That's all they've got, carbon. And deep underground, over thousands or maybe millions of years, with a lot of heat, with high pressure, they are squashed and they are squeezed until the bonds of the carbon become so close and tight, they form into a diamond. Now, coal... It's made similarly, but not exactly the same. Coal is made of plants. When dead plants get squashed together underground, they merge to make fuel that we use. 
not quite strong enough and not quite over a long enough time, though, with other things in it, too. So it can't become proper diamonds, but it's still useful to us, coal, because it's powered things for many, many, many years. Although we're trying to get away from that right now. So similar, but not the same. You can also be a star of the show with your questions and send something in as a voice note by recording yourself uh, on the free Fun Kids app, just like Sol. Hello, my name is Sol, and I want to know, what is the only planet that spins clockwise? Sol, thank you for this. The only planet that we know of that spins clockwise is in our solar system. It's Venus. The second planet from the Sun, Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune, not Pluto anymore. Experts think that Venus did spin anticlockwise the same way as all the other planets when it first formed. But early on, it probably crashed into another planet. It was knocked off course and that made it spin the other way. They also think it explains why it spins so slowly. Now, Earth, it spins around its axis in 24 hours in one of our days. It takes Venus 243 days to spin round, two-thirds of a year for it to just turn on its axis like our planet does in one day. Experts think that collision early on slowed down its spinning. So thank you for the question. If there is something you want answered, the best way that I love to record yourself, uh, send it over to us on the Fun Kids app or at funkidslive.com and then you can be the star of the show. Let's check in with Curious Kate then. For the last few weeks, we've been learning with Kate, who's very curious, all about energy. She loves her energy and she loves asking the big questions about how things work. Uh, This time, we're learning about solar energy. That's the power that we get from the sun. Curious Kate, in association with British Gas Generation Green. Tom! Tom, where are you? In the garden. Come outside. I've got something cool to show you. Okay, come in. What is it? Ta-da! Oh, you've put some garden lights up on the fence. Well done, you. Hey, Cheeky. They're for Mum's surprise birthday barbecue. I'm just checking if they work. But there's something extra special about them, and I thought you might be interested in finding out what it is. Oh, yeah? What? Well, these garden lights are a bit different because they run off energy from the sun. Cool. That's solar energy, isn't it? I've heard about this. The solar panels look a bit like mirrors, and rays from the sun can be turned into electricity. Ooh, someone's been doing their homework. You're not the only one with brains in this family, Tom. But what I'd like to know is, why do we need to create power from the sun when we already get electricity from power stations? Well, that's because across the world we use so much oil, gas and coal to produce energy that one day we may run out of all these non-renewable fuels, which wouldn't be good. So we have to look elsewhere for sources of power, like the sun. Did you know that we use so much energy that if everyone around the world lived the same lifestyle as us, we would need three and a half Earths to survive? That's three and a half Earths to give us the food we need and the fuels to heat our homes and power our cars. Last time I checked, there was only one Earth. Exactly. So we need to be careful about how we use our energy and not waste it. So this solar energy, I think there's a big flaw in the plan to use our sun as an energy source. Yeah, what's that? Duh, we live in Britain. All it does is rain here. Well, that's where you're wrong, smarty pants. 
because solar power can work even when it's cloudy. Basically, so long as there is light, solar can work. Also, energy created by solar panels can be stored in batteries and used at a later time, like when it's dark. Many solar-powered devices have small batteries, like my brilliant garden lights for Mum. Cool. So, how exactly do solar panels work? Well, there are two distinct types of solar panel: solar thermal and solar photovoltaic cells. Solar thermal panels convert energy from the sun by heating water to create steam, which then drives a generator to make electricity. While solar photovoltaic panels convert the sun's ultraviolet radiation into electrons, which in turn can create an electric current that can be used as electricity. Wow! So how come our house doesn't have any solar panels on it? Well, I did hear Mum and Dad saying the other day that they were going to look into getting some panels. Then our house could be partially powered by the sun during the day, and in the future we might even generate enough power from our walls. Scientists are working on solar cells that could be painted onto the outside of walls. Cool! I want to be the first person to have a completely solar-powered house. <laughs> you never know. Kids, I'm home. Where are you? Quick, hide the lights behind that bush. Mum can't see them before her birthday. Oh, hi, Mum. Curious Kate, in association with British Gas Generation Green. How curious are you? Test your curiosity. At www.generationgreen.co.uk/curiosity. It's time for this week's Dangerous Dan. Then, where we look at the most strange and amazing things in the universe. This week, we're headed to the periodic table. Now, that's the chart of all the elements known in the world. An element is one thing, one substance that cannot be made any simpler. And we're looking at element number thirty-one on the periodic table right now: gallium. It's a soft, glittering metal. It's found when people mine other metals like iron, and gallium happens to be there too. It's used in electronics today to conduct electricity. In the past, how amazing is this? It was used by magicians. Gallium melts quite easily. It doesn't need to be very hot. Slightly above room temperature, and then it will melt. So it's perfect to make magic spoons with. The magician would put the gallium teaspoon into the hot drink, where it would melt and disappear in front of your eyes. Even holding gallium can turn your hand into a hot, drippy, metallic mess in none so easily. It's corrosive too, so just a little bit of contact with your own skin can burn it all over. And that is why this this magic element found in rarely in strange places all around the world goes straight onto our dangerous Dan list. It's the Fun Kids Science Weekly now. COP twenty seven, the worldwide UN climate change conference, has just finished over in Egypt, where they'll have made some big decisions about what the planet is going to do to move to the future. And we can find out about how we should move to the future now. There's a brand new book out. It's called Bright New World. It's by Cindy Ford, and it looks at Earth in the future. Cindy, thank you for joining us. Oh, it's such a pleasure, Dan, to be here. Hi, everyone. So there's a lot going on in the world at the moment, and a lot of people are worried about what could happen in in the next 10, 20, 50 years. What made you want to write this book? It's illustrated beautifully to, to try and answer some of those questions. 
Well, thanks very much for asking, Dan. I mean, I think that there is a lot going on in the world and there's definitely things that make us very worried. I think we're all very aware of climate change, the world's getting hotter, face the possibility of losing lots of different species. We've seen some dreadful weather conditions all around the world and it makes us very anxious. But I think the story that isn't told so often in the news is how much we can actually do about it. There's an awful lot we can do about it, Dan, if we act fast and we act now. So I wrote the book so that we could focus on the things that we can do rather than the things that we can't. Because if we do certain things now, we can look forward to a world with a much brighter future. And the book focuses on quite a lot. There are many things that cause and are impacted by climate change. How did you decide which you were going to look at? Well, I decided to choose the ones that have the biggest impact, Dan, because those are the things that obviously we need to do things about most comprehensively and most quickly. So I chose things like energy. Where do we get our energy from now at the moment? Most of it comes from fossil fuels. And it really is. That's one of the things that makes the world heat up the most. All the carbon dioxide coming out makes it's called a greenhouse gas. It traps heat and it makes Earth get very hot. So if we change where we get our energy from, because we're always going to need energy, if we get it from renewables like solar or wind, then we can solve that problem. Another feature in the book is around food, where we get our food from at the moment. We get it in a way that takes up far too much land and actually causes another greenhouse gas called methane because we have billions of cows. We eat 75 billion cows a year, I think, and they all burp. And when they burp, they burp out methane. So that's another greenhouse gas that traps heat and makes Earth get hot. So if we changed how we farmed and changed a little bit what we eat, we could solve that problem too. So that's really how I decided what to put in the book is the things that now cause big problems. But if we change the way that we do them, they can become part of the solution. So let's just look at some of the things that we can do right now, just to tease some of the full chapters that you have in the book. You, you were talking about, about food and you were talking about cows burping. Through your research for the book, to help the planet out moving to the future, do, do many people need to cut down on how much they eat? In the future, will we all be eating plants and completely shunning eating meat? Well, I think there's lots of things that could happen with food and hopefully they're quite exciting things. I mean, I wouldn't I don't want to um, uh, mince words, Dan. I mean, yes, definitely people need to cut down on how much meat they eat. But we are in the process of for the reasons I've described. It it takes up, I think, 30 percent. That's a third of all our land on Earth is used for producing animals that humans eat. And then we have this big problem with methane too, and as well as all the emissions that the food creates when we're shipping it all across the world. So yes, we do need to change what we eat, but there's some very exciting things coming along. There's fabulous things that can be done with plants, plant plant-based food. There's all different kinds of protein sources that people are creating in, you know, what they're calling lab-based meat. We're getting cleverer and cleverer at replacing the things that we we think we we can't change, but we can. So there's all kinds of wonderful food solutions that are coming out to this problem. I think one day it will seem a bit absurd that almost 99% of all animals or all mammal life on Earth was being farmed for humans to eat. I think that sounds quite mad even now. So if we do change 
the way that we treat animals and the way that we produce our food, we can get much, much more land back. So we've got more wild spaces for wild animals, more spaces for people to, to live. And we solve the huge problem of emissions. So, um, yeah, I think there's a lot that we can look forward to by making small changes in our lives. What about holidays in the future? I think many people listening might be a little bit annoyed every now and then because they know that their mums, dads, grandparents got to travel all over the place on planes. But we at the moment are told we need to cut down on our carbon footprint, maybe not go as far. In the future, will we be able to hop over to America to go to a different country? Are they trying to figure out ways that can be done? Well, absolutely, Dan. I completely agree with me. I, I myself travelled quite a lot when I was much younger. And my, my daughter, as you said, said, oh, my mummy, you travelled. And I completely agree with that. And it's something that humans love to do. We love to travel. So I do think that's where technology will help us. Yes, we can take holidays much closer to home. There are often beautiful things in our, in our neighbourhoods that we don't think about or in our own countries that we can get to by train or even bicycling if we feel very intrepid. But there is a lot happening in innovation around fuel. People are developing these fabulous airships which run on renewable energy. Now, I don't know quite how far into the future that's going to be, but I would love to drift away on holiday in a beautiful airship. I'm sure lots of people listening would love to do that too. We're working on changing the types of fuel. I mean, renewable things like electric fuel can power cars because they're smaller. But if you're going to try to power something like a big ship or a plane, then you're going to need you know, a lot more fuel to be able to take a craft over that distance. But there are really fabulous innovations with green hydrogen that may be able to, that already can power planes. We have had a plane called the Solar Impulse, which has made the first solar powered flight around the world. So there's a lot for us to look forward to in technology that may be able to help us with some of our transport issues so that we can travel in more sustainable ways and still enjoy looking around our planet. What about where we might live in the future? With all the stuff that scientists are learning and we know what is helpful to our planet and maybe what's very harmful to our planet. And if we're thinking about the sea levels rising, the state of countries is going to be quite different. How much did you look into how our cities might change and adapt in the future when we're living somewhere? Yeah, that's a very good question, Dan. I did look at how our cities would change because um, for all those very good reasons that you've outlined, now facing the prospect of sea levels rising, if we can't keep Earth from warming by more than 1.5 degrees, then that does mean that we do lose some of our cities. So we have to be very smart about that. I mean, people in Holland, people in low-lying places are already building floating cities, actually, which sound... I don't want to make light at all of, of the problem, but that there is a way of, you know, we can build buildings that can actually be amphibious, if you like. But there's also issues with how many people we have, how much land we want to take up, how much heat we generate in our cities, how much traffic. So there's a huge kind of fun challenge. How do we design cities for, for well-being and happiness rather than just to jam everybody in? So there's fabulous buildings being designed. They're called living buildings. They create their own energy and they manage their own 
waste, just like a living creature would. So they're very, very clean. The energy that they produce can then be sold back to the national grid so it can be used to power. It's all renewable energy because it's solar or it's wind. So it can be used to power other things that we need in the city. We can plan green spaces. So instead of everybody having a car, we could have car sharing so there's much more green spaces for children to play. As we get cleverer with building materials, we can build up, but we can put beautiful green gardens all in our buildings as, as they rise so that we have more space for people. But this is beautiful space that encourages people to feel happy. They're surrounded by nature, even when they're in a city. So there's so many things that we can do to make our lives in cities more healthy and more happy. And these are some of the things that we look at in the book, even growing 3D printed buildings, which we, which you graft, you can combine them with trees so that your building is part nature and part man-made. And it's, it's a building that, as I say, if it's, if it's green, it's doing a fantastic job because it's sucking CO2 out of the air at the same time as being very beautiful. So it's somewhere that we really do want to live. Amazing. And there are so many tips. So that's looking at the future. And there are so many tips in the book, what you can do to try and, and help out the planet before we even get there. It's called Bright New World. It's by Cindy Ford. Cindy, thank you for joining us. Oh, it's been such a pleasure to be on the show, Dan. And thanks everybody for listening. And I'm sure that you've got fantastic ideas of your, um, of your own. As Dan mentioned, COP27 has just finished where lots of old people sat around trying to work out what to do. But my view is the best ideas come from children. So I think you should be included in these COPs next year. What would it be like? Well, the first thing you might notice is the noise. Or the lack of noise. There's something else you'd notice, especially if you were planning an overseas holiday, which is that travelling would take a lot longer. Say you wanted to go to Rome to see the Colosseum. If you took a plane, you'd be there in a few hours. Now imagine if you had to get there without the plane. you took a train or went by car it would take you at least one day to get there and if you wanted to visit Australia without a plane well you'd need to find a boat and it would take you a month now maybe that's not a bad thing some people think that by slowing things down we have time to appreciate more it's like if you have a massive pile of Christmas presents I reckon it's nicer to open them slowly if you open them quickly then the fun is over too soon so maybe it would be nicer to take longer holidays and be more laid back about how long it takes to get there. But then again, holidays aren't the only thing we use planes for. What about when there's some sort of natural disaster that affects lots of people? Like earthquakes, monsoons and tsunamis, where thousands of people could lose their lives and homes. At times like these, aircraft are incredibly important because every second counts. The more quickly that food, shelter and medical supplies can be brought into the scene, the more lives can be saved. And of course, they're a way for people to get out too. Helicopters are really helpful because they don't need runways to land on. They can take off and land in small amounts of space, which helps in hard-to-reach places. Without aircraft, it would take longer to reach these people, and it's certain that more lives will be lost. 
It's not just in other countries that the emergency services use aircraft. Here in the UK, the ambulance, fire, police and coast guard services all use helicopters to reach people in trouble. It would seriously slow them down if all these helpful aircraft disappeared. So can you think of anything else that aircraft is used for? What about getting to work? There's lots of ways that grown-ups do this. Your mum and dad might get to work on foot, bike, or by car or bus, or even train. In some countries, they use something a bit faster. Some people use aircraft. We think of air travel as a special treat or for emergencies, but sometimes it's the only way to get to work or to do a job. Think of flying doctors in large countries like Australia. Without planes, it would take too long to get to their patients. There's some other workers who'd find things difficult without aircraft a lot closer to home. We're at sea. You're probably thinking we need boats, not aircraft. But look, we're near an oil rig in the North Sea and you can see there are helicopters buzzing about here. Oil workers live on the rigs for months at a time. Because the rigs are far from land, it would take a long time for them to travel here by boat. Helicopters helping the workers to and from the rigs and help move people and things between the rigs too. If there's an emergency, they can get people out fast. So as you can see, a world without aircraft would be a very different place. And now it's time for me to fly. Shocks away! Amy's Aviation, with support from the Royal Aeronautical Society. Find out more about aviation at funkinslive.com forward slash aviation. Another brilliant episode of Amy's Aviation finishes off the podcast this week thank you so much for listening if you've got a question that you want answered make sure you send it record it as a voice note fire it over to the free fun kids app or at funkidslive.com you can hear loads more of our brilliant series you've heard two today amy's aviation and curious kate we've got tons more about so many different topics head to apple google spotify wherever you get your shows have a listen on the free fun kids app at funkidslive.com and Fun Kids, we are a children's radio station from the UK. Listen all over the country on your DB Digital Radio and at funkidslive.com.